Welcome to The Real Photo Show. Today, I catch up with photographer and professor Tony Chirinos, and we talk about his first monograph, The Precipice, published by Nomic Book. But before we get to that, The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, your friendly book of the month photo club. Uh, and seriously, uh, a wonderful way to increase or start your photo collection. I've lost track a little bit about uh, which book is with which month because like many other organizations they've been hit with shipping delays and production delays i'm sure and all those things but that doesn't mean the books are not shipping because whatever book uh, gets done is the book they ship and the book that i just received is fantastic and it's hafiz by sabiha chemen and it's published by red hook editions and i will post a video of that book soon on the instagram account all right, so my conversation today is with Tony Chirinos, who runs the photography program at Miami-Dade College. And this is from Nomic Book's website about his book. The Precipice is the summation of nearly two decades spent working as a biomedical photographer in Miami. Chirinos threads the needle between the sometimes delicate, often brutal world of surgical invention. The book is separated into three main bodies, surgical photographs of living subjects, vibrant typologies of exquisitely photographed tools, and the journey to the afterlife. And I'll add that um, the second part of the book also includes some incredible essays by Michelle Otero and Eugenie Schinkel, and the book closes with a poem by Claudia Isidrone. The precipice draws back the curtain to a world which most of us never see, where human fragility and resilience coexist in an uneasy equilibrium. So even though Tony was a guest on the show years ago now, it's, it's actually hard to believe, we do back up the story a little bit and talk about how Tony became a biomedical photographer, which is a, a pretty interesting story, uh, and then how he worked his way through grad school. And we talk a little bit about the state of teaching at Miami-Dade, as I like to do with uh, fellow professors. Uh, so thank you for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. <laughs> Hey, Tony. Nice to see you again. Yes, Michael. Same here. Yeah. You're in your uh, office at uh, Miami-Dade College, Miami right? Miami-Dade College. Yep, that's right. Yeah. yeah this, this has been my home for 18 years now. That's wild. So you started just before I did. I'm 16 years in at Mercer. Yeah, I started I started right right when I finished Columbia. The, the, the winter break, I decided to go around... I came back home during winter break mm -hmm. and then I went around all of the colleges letting them know that I was going to come back and uh, that I, I would have an MFA by that time. And, <laughs> and so I had a portfolio and, and, and yeah, like uh, before I left, I had uh, like six phone calls. Wow. From, yeah. That's great. So I, I started adjuncting for two years and, and one of them was here. And so I've been here 18 years and, and other FIU, Florida International University and, you know, other places. And yeah, and uh, so I was I was very lucky. You had a nice connection with, I believe it was Ed and Mirta Gomez. Is that right? Del Valle and Gomez. Yes. No, it's Del Valle Ed, and Gomez. Ed, yeah. Ed, Ed Del Valle and Mirta Gomez. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It was uh, such a, they're such lovely people and you had such a nice connection with yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they studied they with really them. Nice. 
Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're really the one that told me about MFA in graduate school mm-hmm. because I, I had no idea about graduate school. You know, I was yeah. just going to school at FIU to get a degree so that my uh, pay rate can go higher at Baptist Hospital. No, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I actually didn't know that, that the hospital preceded almost everything else, like the, the work you were doing there, which of course leads to why we're talking today, your book, The Precipice. But I, yeah, I didn't know that um, you were a biomedical photographer before everything else. Right. That's right. So why why don't we start with that? Um, did you study photography and then become a biomedical photographer, or was it the other way around? Well, I got a I got a full scholarship at Miami Dade College, exactly where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. And on my second semester, I lost my scholarship, which included everything else. And I didn't have the heart to tell my parents that I lost my scholarship because they didn't have money to pay for my, my Was that college. because of academics or I wasn't ready. I, oh, I really yeah. wasn't I I wasn't ready for higher education. I really wasn't. And so I said, what the hell am I gonna do? Mm. And uh, the Miami Herald had the job listing and I started looking around to see what I could do. And lo and behold they had this job opening for an assistant to a biomedical photographer for the Department of Radiology at Miami Children's Hospital. And, you know, being cocky and young, I applied. <laughs> it's like three years experience, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and I applied. And lo and behold, the, the guy hired me the same day of my interview. Wow. Yeah. And so he said, you don't have any medical experience, medical photography experience. I said, no, but I can document whatever subject you put in front of me as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that did it or not, but he hired me. And then the other thing that I got lucky was that the person that I was assistant, assisting decided to retire a month into me working there. <laughs> and so they threw me into the job. You know, me not knowing anything about my biomedical photography, I said yes. And then I started researching. Obviously, there wasn't internet at the time. I had to uh, go to the library. And there was this organization called the Biological Photography Association out of Rochester, and it was run by Michael Perez from Rochester Institute. What, what is it? RIT? Oh, RIT, Rochester, Rochester Institute of Technology. Institute of Technology. Yeah. 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 So I think the chair was one of the people that organized the BPA, the Biological Photography Association. Mm. So I started going to their meetings and I started like reading their, their journals. And that's how I became a biomedical photographer. Wow. And of course, that leads to your book, The Precipice, after... <laughs> Lots of, you know, different uh, uh, turns along the way. <laughs> yeah, a, lot, a lot of curves and a lot of U-turns. <laughs> so, the, so you end up back in school, obviously, at some point, while you're a biomedical photographer? Yeah. So w- once I started, like, working at, Bap- at Baptist Hospital, like five years, I worked at Miami Children's. Then I started working at Baptist Hospital. I had enough money to go back to school and pay for my own school. So that's what I did. I started oh, paying for okay. my own school. And I was only able to take one class per semester uh, mm. because I was working 60 to 80 hours a week yeah. at the hospital. You know, I had a beeper and I was on call 24-7. Wow. You know, anytime they needed photographs, I was there. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't stop going to school. And I was always an art major. And so I really enjoyed incorporating some of these things that I learned in art school with some of the images that I was making. Right. 
Right. Yeah. We'll 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 get to that that idea of having two cameras, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, go ahead. Yeah. So so you know the the idea was always that I always thought that science was beautiful, and I was always interested in science. And so I I thought you know well maybe I can merge art and science. And then I started investigating this whole thing about art and science. And there's a lot of people. I mean you know Leonardo da Vinci and and you know Eakins and you know I mean there's just my bridge and Bernie yeah, Sabat and yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly there's tons of stuff that that merged photography and, and the arts mm-hmm. and, and so I always had that in my in the back of my mind you know I I, I share that with you my sort of first uh, life was in in photography was as a manager of a science stock photo agency where I also made photos huh. for the the science agency. Yeah, that was at Fundamental Photographs. And yeah. I did that while I was at the School of Visual Arts and then long past the School of Visual Arts. I was there for a good 15 years. Yeah. Wow. So what, one of the things that I take from being a biomedical photographer is the the high quality image that you had to produce. Mm-hmm. And I think that that stayed with me, you know, and and unfortunately, I don't I don't make too many you know, out of focus pictures. Yeah. And, you <laughs> you're, <know. laughs> you're a stickler for the technical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure your students would attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so you, you you get back in school, and then of course you um you do go to the Columbia program and get your MFA, and you continue working on this project throughout this whole time. Right. I mean, well, at, I mean, while you're at Columbia. Your schedule changes. I imagine you're. I, do you? Are you still an employee at the hospital? While no, you're I Columbia? retired. I retired from from Baptist Hospital. Right. And uh, even though they wanted they wanted to keep me on, I I decided that I, I never went to school full time, so I didn't know that experience. Right. And so I decided to go to school full time. And so that was that was a hell of an experience. I loved it. <laughs> I remember walking around like you know going to crits and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and everybody would say you know why, why are you always so happy because <laughs> i'm going to school 24 7 yeah I'm doing what i love to do i think it's I mean, fair to say you were probably with students who had n- never experienced needing to work and go to school at the same time yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 no i and it's a lot like i think my students today you know i teach at a junior college a two-year college and right. miami date is like a two-year and a four-year right all in one. Right. We we have we have some programs that are four year, even mm-hmm. though we're called Miami Dade College. A lot of the programs here are still two year. Like right. my program is still a two year program. Yeah. So we so. know, unlike many other uh, colleges and especially four year colleges, we have conversations that are about students' work schedules, which yeah, I think would be surprising to a lot of other yeah. a lot of other professors uh, who teach at four years that they talk to their students about their work schedules. And how and how their bosses like, oh my God, my boss just changed my schedule. Right. And it screws everything up. And you know, so you have to work with the student. Yep. And, you know, yeah. I mean I, I, I can understand that. I mean I, I tell my students, you know, when I was when I was a student, I told my student that I had this professor who I went Every time I had a, I took a, a class, at the end of class, I would stick around so I could talk to the professor at the end of class and say, hey, just wanted to let you know that I, I have a beeper. Mm-hmm. I'm on call 24-7. This is what I do. And there was a lot of professors that were very nice and said, you know, just be quiet, just stepped out. Right. But there were some professors that, that would just tell me, drop the class because I'm not going to take it. Yep. 
Yeah. So, you know, so I, I think about all those things and I try to apply that to the students that we have right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So go, going back to a question that you had about these images and, and doing something at Columbia. So the first two chapters of the book were images that I made while I was at Baptist Hospital. And those two chapters, which are the first chapter, The Precipice and The Tools, were two projects that I actually applied to Columbia University with. Oh, okay. So that, that tells you how old these images are. Well, that's um, that I find really interesting, too, as you know, someone who is putting together their old work. <laughs> yeah. I, I find it really interesting that this is work that has been in some ways recontextualized and, and edited in a new way to make this book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let, let's get to it. Um, but you know, when you, when you started as a, a biomedical photographer, was there a, a transition? Was there a period where you, you had to get used to what you were seeing? You had to get used to the environment. You had to get used to the sounds, the noises, the smells, the, the visuals, right? I mean, there, there had to be a lot of that. Absolutely. The very first time that I, that I was asked to photograph in surgery, I didn't understand that all of the senses can be enticed at the same time. Mm. And so I was blown away, completely blown away. It was a 13-year-old female getting a scoliosis repaired. Oh, wow. So... I mean, smell, mm -hmm. I mean, taste. I mean, believe it or not, whenever they're cutting bone, you can taste it. It's like going to, you know, to a meat market. You can taste right. the it gets in your mouth in the back of your throat. Right. You know? Yes, yes. And so this, the sound, the smell, you know, every, everything was there. And so, yes, I, I had to get used to it. And, and so much so that you, you start disconnecting from what you're doing. But I remember two things that I had to photograph, and both of those things put me into therapy. Mm. Um, it, it was such a uh, an experience that, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I had, well, maybe I had PTSD, if you if you want to call it that way. But yeah, I, I had to seek therapy to to help me understand those images that that you know stayed in my mind. Well, I think I think that sensitivity is what comes through the book, right? I think exactly. I think being a sympathetic and empathetic person, being someone sensitive to the pain and suffering of others, this is what, what comes through the book. And, you know, you mentioned um, the first two parts. The book is is in some ways three chapters, three parts. It's the, the surgical theater, the tools, and I, I include the essays and the tools together, and Correct. then the morgue, because the Correct. the essays and the tools are are printed in such an interesting way. They're on this sort of thinner paper, this kind of notepad kind of paper, and it feels like a break or a reflection to to go through the surgical theater photos, to go through you know, and end with the morgue photos. But in between that, um, and the morgue is the is the chapter three. I don't know if I mentioned that, but in between that, there's these there's beautiful essays. And these beautiful photographs of tools, and it is a, a time to reflect. That's that's you got it right on the money. You yeah, know? I mean, it, it would be too heavy to have the first chapter and the last chapter together, mm -hmm. and then and then you won't have any time to rest or or be able to reflect upon what you've seen. And so I think that Jason, the book publisher from Nomic Book, mm -hmm. uh, was brilliant. And making that happen and changing the paper 
I mean, it's, it's thinner, it's translucent, mm-hmm. it's light. And so, and I, and I think that's what it, it's what it needs in, in the middle. No, it's, it's, it's really genius because it slows you down. Mm-hmm. Um, you're handling different paper. There's something about book paper that's sturdy and you flip it and you feel like you could just flip, flip, flip. And then you get to this light vellum-like paper, and it, and you're like, oh, this is delicate. I need to turn more carefully, right? It yeah, really slows yeah, exactly. you down. It's such exactly. a ge- so genius. I love every part of it. The other thing that's interesting about the book is the title, The Precipice, in some ways becomes chapter one, because yes. when you get to this chapter two, it's it's words, it's text, and the essays become kind of chapter two in, a, in that way. But when you get to chapter three or part three, you gave it another title, Farewell. Farewell. And so the precipice really becomes more meaningful because it precedes Farewell, I think. Correct. In some Correct. ways. Yeah. Correct. And if you, if you remember the last image from the first chapter, which is the, the gentleman that is mm-hmm. laying on the gurney. Yes. You don't know what happened. That's right. So that's the whole concept of the precipice. Right. You know, the... Like I said, uh, Eugenie, is it Eugenie? How do you say Eugenie Schinkel? Eugenie Schinkel writes the, the, the first essay between the science and the sacred. Of course, there's blending that science and the experience, yep. which yep. is yeah. so we, good. We had, we, we had some great conversation, and she really picked things from my head and, and what I was saying, and, and she really put it wonderfully into words. Yeah, and you know, connecting that spirituality, mm-hmm. a bit of... Um, religion but not a specific religion so to say just the idea of the soul leaving the body that kind of idea correct but i think the nice link that eugenie makes is the idea of the the kind of the sacred and the clinical and you know sort of connecting everything together the commonality between the surgical tables and the morgue tables the shrouds the stainless steel it really mm-hmm brings the beginning and the end together to make you think about how close life and death are. They're millimeters apart, life and death. There's just this, especially in the moment when you're doing something like getting surgery, right? But but really just overall, like life and death are right next to each other at all times. I thought that was beautifully uh, written. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't ask for a better collaboration. Uh, than with these um, amazing writers. Mm-hmm. And all three of them are female. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Michelle Otero writes the uh, last part of chapter two. And then Correct. it ends with a, an incredible poem by Claudia Isidron. Isidron? Yep. Uh, remember me? Yeah. A, a student. Oh, wow. My, yes. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful poem. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. So just to describe it a little bit, it opens up and you're in the... The room of surgery, which used to be a, a real well, kind it, of... It opens, it opens up with a curtain. Oh, the curtain. Which, yes. Yes, yes. You know, which is the whole concept of the surgical theater. Right. A long time ago, it was called the surgical theater. Now it's the OR, the operating room, right. the surgical room. And so I wanted to bring back the historical aspect of that yeah. by, by, by giving you that um, that curtain. I mean, in the I think in the... I don't know if it's the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, whatever. I would think it literally was an amphitheater, right? People, spectators yeah, would actually watch, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it, it was all circular for mm-hmm. acoustic reasons. And right. uh, yeah, I mean, 
all that was researched and I, I looked into all of that and it was really incredible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to give a, a historical context to what you were going to go into by looking at the first image. Right. So, I, I mean, it's a, it's a podcast. We're not going to try to explain what everything looks like, but if you can see right. Tony's work on Tony's website, you can also buy the book, the president, but, um, but there is a similarity between, you know, the way the, 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 the surgical theater photos look and the way the, the morgue photos look in terms of the harshness of the lighting, the dramatic lights to darks and the reflections of stainless steel. And of course the, I don't know how to really describe it, but the, the sort of poetic quality of what's happening with the, the shapes of the bodies and, mm-hmm. and the tools and, you know, the, the masks and the, the gloves, you know, it's just sort of everything that's happening. It's a, it's a heavy experience. It's a heavy experience. It's heavy and it's quiet and it's loud and it's scary yeah. You know, and it's tense. I, I mean, it, it has so many layers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that we sequence these images and the way that we selected these images, and I'm saying we because I, I decided to give them all the images and see what they would come up with. Um, and so um, Jason and Shane from, from Nomic Book decided to try uh, editing the work. And, and they did a good job. And we we had a good conversation and good dialogue and we moved things over and we added images. We took images out. And one of the things that I felt that was missing from their edit was the fact that they had no idea what being in surgery was about. Mm. And so when I explained to them the process and the things that happen and how chaotic it could be, it could be very quiet for like an hour and then chaotic for 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so that is what we were trying to do with the sequence. And hopefully, right. you know, the other thing that we tried to do is that you never know what was going to happen next. So I want to make sure that the viewer doesn't know what the next picture is going to be when they turn the page. And that speaks to the idea of collaboration, which is how a book should be put together, right? Yes. And also especially when it's work you've shown before in different ways and you're trying to figure out how things go together and the order of things and whether or not separate projects should go together. I think that requires uh, good collaboration. I think it requires outside voices. And you actually thank quite a few people <laughs> in the book for those outside voices. Yeah. You know, Alejandro Cartagena had yes. a lot to do with creating these three chapters because mm. I gave him, I gave him all the images and I asked him to help me edit this work. And, and he did a wonderful job. Obviously we took uh, some of the things that he was doing and, and obviously Jason rejected some because mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be a nomic book. So that's the other thing that you want, you have to think about when you, when you decide to publish with somebody is that you, you have to understand that the book has to look like part of the nomic family. Right. And, right. Um, and so we kept some ideas and, and then he, he uh, inputs some uh, other ideas that made it a nomic book. Absolutely. Yeah. And getting back to that middle section where not only the page is different uh, and the photographs are more clinical in a sense, but also very decorative, like they're colorful, they're bright. Uh, I think 
is it Eugenie Schinkel who mentions that they're like jewelry, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah, there's something similar to sort of jewelry photography in those. And well, that that's what I told her because mm. one of the the idea that I had was okay. So I, I I saw these tools being used, and yes, they they can save your life or kill you, but at the same time, I saw them as beautiful sculptures. Um, so then I I took them out of their context and played with them in a way that okay, so you know what's the difference between photographing a scissor, surgical scissor, or a Rolex watch. Mm. You know, uh, you have to entice the viewer to want that object. And so that's what I try to do. Right. And I, I do want to just get back to the idea that while you were making these photos, you were also working. And so your, your, your head had to be in two different places at the same time. You had to make photos that were clear and descriptive and scientific uh, but then you were making these other photos that were more emotional, right? Emotionally kind of connected. That's, that's correct. That's correct. I felt sometimes that I was bipolar mm. um, because, you know, I would, I would think of an idea while I was in surgery. Mm -hmm. And this is where you asked, you know, I always carried two cameras with me. I carried the camera that I needed to do my job as a biomedical photographer. And then I took my camera as an artist. And so there was always downtime in surgery, which was nice, um, you know, in between whatever the surgeon wanted you to photograph. So there was always downtime. Yeah. And so sometimes the downtimes were so long that, you know, I would go back to my office and do some other work. But then um, there was times where I just stayed in surgery and started looking at things differently. So, you know, it's like changing that subject matter that you're so familiar with into something else that, could generate another thought or idea or bring people into thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. And, and then stepping back a little further as well, you know, the idea of going back and revisiting older work. I know for a long time, I felt like if I wasn't making something new and doing something new, I was wasting my time. Right. I was, mm -hmm. And it's only recently where I've, really felt like I need to deal with all this work I've made and never really done anything with, or at least, you know, never felt it was final, right? Finalized, right? Is right. this feel final now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely. And, and the whole concept of having this work for such a long time and, and thinking about, you know, I, I, I've tried, I, I tried before this to, to have it published, but the whole concept was like, okay, when, when is a good time to show work about the end of life, mm. about thinking about the end of life, about, you know, thinking about that life is a dilemma. And so, you know, when is it a good time? So I have to say that COVID mm. really was what really put a fire up my rear end and say, you know, I think this is the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that there's, uh, people might be interested in seeing what's happening inside these spaces. And Michelle Otero writes beautifully about that as well. She starts with uh, life experiences, her own life experiences with death, her religion, her working as a Jesuit volunteer in El Salvador. Um, yeah. And, you know, the 
the memories of of what the Jesuits faced in Central America with Oscar Romero and the, the sisters and the priests who were all murdered and grief. Uh, and then kind of ending, uh, you know, about that, that grief and that fear in, in the time of COVID and what everyone's experiencing right now. And, you know, the title of her piece is What the Body Holds, which is incredible, right? It's an incredible yeah. title with for this particular work. And I think that encapsulates, you know, that connection. After we've left the the precipice, we read her essay, then we go into the farewell. I thought that was a, a beautiful transition. Yeah, because we, we just don't hold body weight. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we hold more than, than just that. We hold memories. We hold, you know, thoughts and, and love and empathy. And, you know, there's so much more than just our body weight. And, and I think that her piece for me is sort of like, a letter that somebody writes to a loved one, you know, about the experiencing that they're having and what, what the memories are about, you know, what, what, what strike, I mean, COVID has striked so many things in our lives, you know, the way that we're interviewing right now. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, the way that we're teaching, the, the way that we're getting together with friends, getting tested, you know, all, all that, COVID has changed. And I think that that text really makes us think about that and who we are as human beings. Right. And what are we here for, you know? Absolutely. So, and, you yeah. know, I think one of the things that's, that has come through this book, because I know it's you and I know everything in it is a collaboration with you, right? If there's If there's a central person in the book, of course, you, you know, it's you. Um, <laughs> I think... This has been uh, an experience for you as well, putting this together, figuring out how it all goes together and thinking about what it all means, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, it, yeah. and I, it seems like it's, it's been both a, um, a weight on you and a weight off of you at the same time going through this work, <laughs> right? Is that fair to say? Well, it, it is. It is fair to say. Um, I, I still deal with uh, death and vulnerability in my other photographic projects which is something that I think it's going to stay around forever, mm-hmm. but not in such a visual way. It's more, you know, the other images are more, I guess, intellectual or, you know, or there's a connection between images and thoughts. But in this body of work, it, you know, the images are, are straightforward and, and yet they, they still haunt us and make us think about life. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Do you have any plans for book signings, uh, shows? Is, I know it's hard to plan anything right now. <laughs> well, well, you know, because of COVID, you, you know that the uh, shipping industry has been crazy. And so um, I still don't have my books. Oh, they're not all in yet. That's right. No, they're not all in yet. I mean, Jason was very nice to showcase the book at uh, Paris Photo. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to bring some copies with him back to the States. And so the people that bought the book early got a copy. I think you got a copy. I got so a that copy. Yeah, I got lucky. <laughs> great that you got lucky. But we're still waiting for the mass. And there's also some other things that I'm very eager to see, which we we created a, a book for students, which is almost half the price. Oh, that's and great. Then, yeah. And then we also made posters, which I'm really eager to look at. Yeah. So on on the on the webpage, Nomics web webpage, you can see you can see what they are, but basically I I still don't have them in my hand. 
Right. Uh, the, so the book for the students, will that be a kind of soft cover? It, it's, it's actually a, it's actually a non, non-cover. Oh, wow. So a lot of the things about the books and the stuff that we talked about mm-hmm. when we were designing or when Jason was designing and I, I was giving him ideas is, is a lot of things had to deal with medical concepts. Like, for instance, when you open the book, the spine is exposed. Yes. No, it's, it's a stitch-bound right. book inside so, of a, almost – it's almost like in a slipcase in a way. Exactly. So yeah. we, were, we were thinking – I was thinking about that concept. It's like, okay, isn't it, isn't it neat that the book has the name spine of the book? And then can we expose that spine like they do in mm. surgery? And that's what, that's what we did. And so the student book is actually no cover. It's actually we, we uh, extract the body of the book and we put it in a vanilla envelope that's stamped title, sort of like the old time when you used to go to, to the doctors and they would give you your report in this vanilla in, envelope. In the big or, envelope, or, yeah. Yeah, or, or like the, uh, the x-rays. So, so we did that. And, oh, that's uh, great. What a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then the poster is just the tools with uh, Eugenie's text. So the, oh, it's the poster, the tools, right, with Eugenie Schinkel's text. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Before we, we stop talking about the book, uh, sure. do you mind, would it be okay if I read the first two sections of uh, Claudia Isidron's poem? Yeah, yeah. You, you can read the whole thing if you want. It's, okay. it's short. <laughs> but you, yeah, you could. Would you like to read yeah. it? Uh, I, I don't have the book okay. in front of me, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I saw the first signs of sickness in my own eyes. I walked on eggshells and jumped on mushroom rings. I watched the tips of my fingers burn like wicks of burning candles, and yet I was not afraid. We saw the cut strings as they laid on Mama's bed. Our strings were young and untouched by life yet, but my strings had begun to darken, to weaken, and to wrap around my thick neck. I told you I hated roses, so don't put them on my funeral bed. Dress me in straw-woven clothing and take no mind of my skin. You will cry for me, and my mortality shall be a reminder to you. Amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. A beautiful end to the book, uh, and a beautiful book. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Yeah, and I hope hope those copies come in soon. (laughs) Yeah, no, so you were asking me about uh, book signings, and and obviously... We haven't we haven't attacked that portion or that aspect yep. of making book. I notice there's because, no signature in my book. Uh huh. <laughs> because we just because we just don't have the book. So yeah. But I have made contact with some book. Uh, like there's we have a independent book seller here at Miami called Books and Books. Mm-hmm. And so we're very eager to do a book signing there. And then, by the way, I have to I have to mention Melanie MacWorther who really is the person that put me and my work with Jason. Mm. So um, she's an incredible person. She's out of New Mexico. I met her in 2012 when I went to review Santa Fe and, and we kept in touch and she's, uh, you know, she's a champion of my work. She loves what I do. That's fantastic. And, um, and so, you know, I got to give her a shout out because she's just amazing. So, Obviously, she worked for Photo Eye, so you know. Hopefully, we can do something at Photo mm-hmm. Eye. And Michelle Otero lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so maybe she oh. can come down, and we can do a, a dual signing of the books. Well, and, we could go visit yeah. our friend Kai McBride and yep, hang yep. out at Kai Photo Eye. <laughs> so, so you know, we have all these ideas of what we want to do. We just have to have patience, and 
wait until the book gets here. Oh, um, yeah. Jason, Jason did tell me that uh, the MoMA will sell all of the Namic books. Oh, great. And all of the family of Namic books. So um, it's really nice to, you know, that my book is going to be at MoMA yeah. bookstore, which well, is great. You just reminded me, I meant to also ask you about the whole process. Uh, this was a, a crowd-funded book, right? No. No, oh, it wasn't. I thought it was. No, no. I, um, I fundraised myself. So what I did during COVID is that I reached out to as many people as I could. I'm sure that you got one of my emails. Oh, I, I support it. That's, I yes, think that's how yes. I ended up with a book, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So, so, um, I, so, I so, see. Yeah. I, so I mistook, I mistook you fundraising yourself for the idea of crowdfunding. This was you doing all the reaching out. Yeah. And so I, I, I reached out to, you know, a lot of my friends and, and um, there were some people that were so generous. Mm. Um, there were some doctors from the past that were very generous that, you know, we still have kept in touch. That's great. And, and so, you know, it came through that way. And, and uh, yeah, and that's how it happened. And then also I applied to a grant thanks to uh, Dennis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he told me about this, uh, this grant. And so we applied. And, Dennis uh, Santella. So, yes. Yeah. And, yep. and so we, we got a little bit of money from this grant and, and you know, helped us move this forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's a community and, and, I, and I love the fact that everybody really came through to help. Yeah, sure, it's my images, but there's so many people that helped. You know, Center, were, they, they helped me with um, the whole non-for-profit. So I, we were able to get money through Center and the individual donors would get a tax write-off. So they were, I think it's called fiscal sponsorship. And so, you know, thanks to them, you know, there was a lot of people that were reluctant to, to help if it wasn't, you know, for the oh, help of claiming tax Claim taxes, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that helped, you know, so there's just so many people. I mean, it, it is a community that really helps publish books. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, how's the how's the spring semester kind of panning out for you? You know, we're we're doing a uh, uh, vaccine or test mandate at Mercer. What are you all doing? Well, Miami Dade doesn't have any of that. Well, you're not allowed to, right? <laughs> we're we're un- we're under the Republican umbrella. Yes. <laughs> so um, the state of Florida is strange. <laughs> However, there are some policies that if you do. Uh, if you do uh, come out positive, you have to identify the school, and then you have to you have to come back with a negative, two negative uh, test. So everybody's been really good at school in the sense of everybody's wearing masks. And the hard thing is, you know, how do, how do you keep students not migrating over the darkroom? You know, over oh the yeah, yeah. Thing. So um, so this semester everything worked out well. Last semester, this semester we'll see. If we have to split the darkroom time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, into two different groups, group A and group right. B. Right. I was lucky. Um, uh, Photo One ran in the fall, and I didn't. I didn't offer any darkroom classes for the spring, just because my, you know, I think like everyone else, my enrollment's a bit down. So uh, we're only doing a digital and and uh, a kind of hybrid film digital class, but it's color film, so we don't actually use the the darkroom. We process film and scan it, but. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, luckily, we I think if all goes well, we'll actually have a a, a testing van on site. So well, that's great. Yeah, yeah we, we have a testing site. 
mm-hmm. um, right on campus. It's run by somebody else, but yes, we do have it here. And and our numbers are are low too. I mm-hmm. mean, really low. Yeah, we're you know all that low. Richard LaBarber used to teach here. Oh, that's retired. right, Ricky. Yeah, and so he used to teach one and two classes, and I used to teach four classes. So we used to have four six classes per semester, mm-hmm. and now we only have three. So our class has been cut in half. Yeah, we're we're running five classes a semester, but we get a lot of non-majors who take Digital Photo One, uh, and that has been a saving grace for the the program. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Um, Michael, listen, I, I want to always thank you for supporting uh, my work and supporting what I do. Um, always. And uh, always thank you for the time that, that, uh, that you give me to uh, be able to um, talk about my work. Well, I've been a fan of your work since I met you, so it's my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. Have a, have a good and healthy semester. Yeah, same to you. Yeah, uh, stay safe, and uh, and we'll see what this book does. Yeah, no, believe me, if you if you get if you have a book signing in in Santa Fe, I'm heading out there. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, cool. All right, cool, cool, cool. just gonna hop on a plane. Um, yeah. Well, we're we're thinking that we want to do one also in New York. Um, oh, okay, well that I can make. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, All right, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank yep. you so much. Yep. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.